Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What's up, Paradigm? If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of Romans, chapter 3, is where we're going to be at tonight. I am so glad that you made it after the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm so excited to be able to come to you in the crossroads from here in Lee Summit. Lee Summit, let them hear you real quick. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. Let's go, crossroads. Lee Summit, we are one ministry in two locations, gathering every Tuesday night, man, just to, just to lift up the name of Jesus, to get back in his word and to learn what he has to say and how that impacts our life in this season of life. And I'm so glad that everyone that's here has joined us tonight. And I'm so excited about where we're headed. We're in week two of this series that we've been calling Reforesting. And reforesting, just if you need a definition, it's the process of planting trees in an area that has been decimated by human consumption. Now, I've never really reforested anything before, but uh, I did a couple of weeks ago get the opportunity to go down into the crossroads, and we were getting to plant trees in the crossroads. And um, I don't know if you're a big tree planter or not. I'm not a big tree planter, but the vision of our church is to put the love of God on display in a really tangible way. Uh, We say like this, that we want to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And so when I got the news that we could go plant trees and we could put the love of God on display in a tangible way and mix it up with some people that may not, may not know about Jesus and we get to put some trees in the part of a city that, that I'm trying to, you know, put the love of God on display, I was like, man, I'm in. And so I got me and my crew, you can see a picture of us right here. It's kind of cold that day. Look like a bunch of minions out there, you know what I'm saying? Just running around, just shake them up. They're so cute. Anyway, that's my wife and my girls. We get out there, we start planting trees and, uh, and you, you know, what, basically what we were doing were we were going to places where... Uh, people had, had told us, hey, there needs to be a tree here. We're digging a hole, and we're putting a tree in there. Now, they gave us this big education on how, how, di- how deep it's got to be and all this stuff. But, but essentially, we were trying to plant something new into a place that was otherwise just barren. We were reforesting the city, if you will. Now, the reason why I start there is because that is a picture of what we're praying God will do in your life tonight that we're praying that God would plant something in your life, that he would plant something new in your life that would have great impact for this life and the one to come. That the reality is, is that there is something barren in all of our lives, and I'm asking God, I've been asking him for the last couple of weeks and asking God specifically in this message that he would plant something new deep down in your soul. I'm so excited that you're here tonight, and I'm praying that God would move mightily in your life tonight, that some of you have come here tonight some of you have come into the city tonight. Wherever, whatever location, some of you are gonna hear this message in the future, and God's gonna use his word to ignite and, 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 and illuminate and, and bring something new into your life. That some of you are here tonight to have your life changed by Jesus. And I'm so excited about where we're headed tonight. And I'm praying that God would plant his love deeply into the soil of your soul. Because we're going to be talking about the tree that changed everything. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's what I've titled this message, The Tree That Changed Everything. And I'm going to invite you to make three confessions tonight. And these three confessions, y'all, like when I think about my life and I think about the time that I've spent studying God's Word, I've read the Word of God from cover to cover, back and forth a few times. Like these confessions, I keep coming back to them. 
The passage of scripture that we're looking at tonight is one of the most important passages in the Bible. And in these confessions I'm going to invite you to make tonight, it, it, it has shaped the man that I am today in so many ways. When I think about the, my day-to-day, my, my month-to-month, my year-to-year, my decade-to-decade, these three things have informed who I am. These three things, they have informed what I've been called to do. These three things, they have shaped me, and I'm praying that they would shape every one of us tonight. And we're going to be looking at something that's so critical that we must understand. And we're going to be looking at the book of Romans, chapter 3. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Paul was the one that wrote the book of Romans. And and Paul was trying to help this church in Rome process what Jesus did for humanity. This is like Paul's dissertation on salvation. It's, It's Paul writing almost like a lawyer, almost like somebody in a Ph.D. program, trying to break down like the need for Jesus, what Jesus did, and how that plays out in your life. In this book, the book of Romans, it is a wealth of theology, and we're going to be able to take in just a sliver of this little book tonight. And the sliver that we're going to be taking in is called by one theologian, Martin Luther, the chief point of the whole Bible. And I'm going to do my best to unpack it in a way that will impact you tonight. Here's what it says in Romans 3, starting in verse 9. It says this, what then? What then? Are we better than they? He says, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. What Paul's trying to do is he's, he's been building a case for the lostness of mankind. And, and what would have happened is he would have built a case for the lostness of mankind. And the people that he, were, that he was writing to were, were considered God's people. They would have been like, well, that's them and we are different. He's like, no, 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 no. We are all under sin. Like Paul has already, in the book of Romans, he's gone through great lengths to argue that we're under sin, that sin isn't something that we just do. Sin is something that we are. Like we we are underneath the power of sin is what Paul's saying. We are are living in, we don't, sin isn't just a place we visit, it's the place we live. Sin is something that is pervasive. It is a root that is inside of every one of us. And Paul, he goes on, he says this, as it is written, And then Paul's about to string together a bunch of Old Testament references. It's like he's quoting all of these different passages, and he's putting them together. And if you're like in a a real Bible, um, what it it does, it it, it indents, and this is like a song. And so I I love this because because Paul, Paul, he's kind of got a a dark sense of worship to him, I guess. And I don't know if y'all know this or not, but our worship team here at Abundant Life, like we just released a new EP for Christmas. And I don't know if you're a Christmas music person, we turn up when it comes down to Christmas in my household. And uh, so like we've got talented musicians featuring some of our paradigm people like Mario Guzman, Taylor Struckmeyer, Marian Evers, and others. And, and they're singing these wonderful Christmas songs. And we've been writing songs with Abundant Life Worship, but no one has really written a song quite like this one. I don't know which artist, like if Billie Eilish became a Christian, maybe she would write a song like this. You know what I'm saying? Because here's the song. Here's how it goes. It's a chipper one. It says this in verse 10. Here's the song. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so automatically, like when we hear that, we think, well, what about my, like my sweet grandma? Listen, the Bible is, go- it's, it's, it's hyperbole. It's going through great lengths to say, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps, you have to enunciate that one, all right? The poison of asps is under their lips. See, the reason why y'all laugh is because you're wicked. Anyway, so... (laughs) 
14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Confession number one I want to invite you to make tonight is simply this. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Now this isn't me throwing shade at you that I hadn't thought of myself yet. That's all of us. Confession number one, I am a sinner. That's a tough one because if you're like me, like you, you grew up in America, if, if you're like me, and, and you grew up believing like, like you can be anything, you know, you can be an astronaut, you can be a doctor, firefighter, policeman, you know, superhero, you can be anything, right? And you've been, you've been hearing things growing up in school like, man, you, you just need to believe the best about yourself and self-esteem and think highly of yourself and you put your mind to it. You could be somebody and some of those things are good. But what happens is that, is that we are, we are baited into believing that we're not a bad person inherently. And so when you hear like you're a sinner and you have to make that confession, I am a sinner, we'll, we'll, we kind of soften it, right? Like we'll say, well, like, I'm not a sinner. Like I just, I'm, you know, I've just messed up a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I just, you know, I was tripping back in middle school. I'm not a sinner. You know, I just, I kind of slipped in college. Well, I'm really not a sinner. I've just, you know, I've made some mistakes. But the Bible is trying to say, no, no, you're not a mistaker. You're not a slipper. You're not a tripper. Man, you are a black-hearted sinner. And confession number one is, I am a sinner. Look, and this is so hard because we were taught, if you got the right information, if you got the right education, if you make it to the right neighborhood, then you can be a pretty good person. But what's ironic is that in the era that we live in, all the progress that we've made, there has been more evil done in this modern era with education and technology than any other era in human history. And we're seeing it on the news even today that you and I, we have to admit that at the root of humanity is wickedness. Out of all of our progress and all of our technology and all of our advancements, wickedness is still the result of the sin that is laden in every heart that is in here tonight. Now, and I don't mean to burst your bubble, but you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And the faster that you can admit that, the closer you are to being right with God. Now, some of y'all, y'all don't believe me. I, I, let me. Let me tell you how I know this to be true. I went to Disney on Ice on Friday. Disney on Ice. Yeah, I'm a girl dad, and my, my brother happens to be a girl dad too. And so when we were getting together as a family, he's like, we should take the girls to Disney on Ice. I'm like, are you crazy? You know, but like, anyway, so we bought the tickets, and, and my brother, he's got a little bread, and so like, we did it up big. You know, we get there. Like, when I typically take my kids to something like that, I'm like, you get in, and that's all we get. You ain't getting no popcorn. You ain't getting no swords that glow. You ain't getting nothing. Right? It was everything I could just to get you in. So, but my brother, he's different. You know, he's got a little bread. So it's like we get in, he's like, who wants popcorn? You know, get all the kids popcorn. And, and then the intermission, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm about to go get the girls a treat. I'm going to get them a snow cone. I was like, brother, you see, them snow cones cost $20. You know, like, you, you okay with that? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, just, well, just get us one. And our girls, my three girls, they'll split it. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to get everybody a snow cone. I'm like, all right. You know, everybody need a rich uncle. You be one. You know, so he goes and gets, he gets these Olaf, like, cups with snow cones and, and like, comes back. And, and one of the kids, the reason why I know that we're wicked is that one of the kids at the happiest place on earth, like, close to it, all right? I mean, she, like, we had princess dresses. We had, we had Moana and Maui out there ice skating. And, you know, like, it was it, was, it, was, it was it, you know. And when my brother brings this snow cone that just cost him a, hunt, a benny to get everybody a snow cone, all right, she starts throwing a fit. I don't want a snow cone. I want a cotton candy. I'm like, 
I want to go, oh, dear. You know, like I just, and she pouted. One of the girls pouted when she should have been at the happiest moment of her life with a free snow cone and a free admission to Disney on ice. There's something inside of her. This sweet, amazing little girl, there's something inerrant inside of her, innate inside of her, that when she doesn't get what she wants, when she, when she gets a snow cone, instead of cotton candy, she's just gonna pout and let everyone know about it and not enjoy the moment. And that root of selfishness and that root of I'm gonna pout when I don't get my way and that root of pride, it runs in every one of us. We are all under sin. There's a confession that we have to make that's a difficult thing to say. But we must believe this, that I am a sinner. Paul, he goes on, he says this. He says now in verse 19, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. He's telling us the purpose of the law, the Old Testament. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul, he's telling us one of the purposes of the law. Now when you read the Old Testament, you kinda get the ways of God or the law of God. And, and the law of God, it works like a roadmap to life. And when we live by the law of God, I believe that we'll live a better life. But also the law of God, it, it works like a mirror to reveal the parts of our life that aren't right when we break the law, right? And so Paul, what he's saying is like the, one of the main reasons why the Bible is given, one of the main reasons why the law is given is to prove to you and me that we are guilty of sin. Uh, yesterday, I got to go with my daughter, my oldest daughter, to get an MRI. I don't know if you've ever been to an MRI. Here we are right here in our scrubs. You can see us trying to make the most of the moment, you know, and she's looking all pretty. But every year, she has to go in for an MRI. We're dealing with some chronic things with her. And so we go to Children's Mercy yesterday, and, and, um, and we, y- y- I don't know if you've ever seen an MRI, you've ever been one, but you know, you go into this big room, and it's loud, and she goes into this tube, and, and they're scanning her body, and they're trying to take pictures of what you cannot see underneath the surface so that it can expose what is not right in her body. And the law is like an MRI. Like when we read the Bible, it scans our bodies and our souls and it reveals the things that aren't right inside of us. Now, how crazy would it be if I thought, you know what I need in order to heal my daughter, I need to get an MRI machine. Like how crazy would it be if I thought that the thing that I needed to do was to go to the MRI machine and just keep putting her into that thing, putting her into that thing, and thinking eventually that's going to heal her. Listen, all the MRI machine does is reveal what is broken. And what Paul is saying right here, he's saying this, that the law was given so that you could understand that no flesh, that's none of us, could be justified before God. None of us could be made right before God by just doing the law better. And so some of us think, like, we'll admit, I'm a sinner, and so we think that we've got to grit ourselves together, like grab ourselves together, and and with our grit, we pull up our bootstraps, go and obey God better, and then we'll be right with God. But the irony of that is, is the harder that you try to do the thing that God's called you to do in your own strength, the more it reveals that you can't do what God's called you to do in your own strength. And so the law was given to us just to double down on the reality that we must make the confession, I am a sinner. 
I, mean, I could go on with a number of illustrations, but I'm convinced that there's no, there's no amount of illustrations that I could conjure up and communicate to you tonight that would help it click any better than I've already tried to do. That there's no amount of illustrations. I need God to move mightily in your life, in this moment, so that you could see your need for him. And once God reveals that to you, that you would be faithful to take that need to him. And there's no amount of illustrations, there's no amount of pictures that I can give you to help you understand this. Because in the end, I believe that all of the illustrations will bring you to the same crossroads where you'll have to decide, will I admit, will I confess that I'm a sinner, that I've done bad things, that I've done good things for the wrong reason, that, that I'm, I'm not as good as I, I really think I am and I'm far worse than I really want to admit, that I've lived for myself, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short of the standard of God. Listen, the test results are in. The imaging is clear. The diagnosis is undeniable. The root has been exposed. I am a sinner. And I think every one of us deep down inside, we know that there's something off in our heart. And I think every one of us deep down inside, we know that there's something off in this world. And I think every one of us deep down inside, we know that there's something off in our families. We just were with them all last week, right? Like we know something ain't right. You know, we love them, but we know something ain't right. And the reason why we know that intrinsically and we know that experientially is because it is a reality that we, I am a sinner. Now, I love that the Bible doesn't just like end right there, you know? Like that would be pretty downer, right? If I was like, you know what, let's just pray and we're just gonna leave and sing this song that we found in the Bible that no one is good, no, not one, you know? And, and our mouths are open and we just, you know, we hate God, that kind of thing. Like that would be kind of a downer, right? And the reason why the church is still vibrant in the world today and the reason why the Bible is the best-selling book of all time and the reason why Jesus is the most famous person in human history is because the Bible is full of hope that Jesus, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't just bring the diagnosis, but he's the doctor too. Jesus doesn't just bring the call out, he came to give the help out, you know what I'm saying? J Jesus didn't come to just kind of tell you you're a sinner, he's trying to tell you that there's hope on the horizon. He didn't just say that you, you've had a lot of bad days, you've done a lot of bad things. The Bible goes on to say, but you can have some better days ahead of you. And there may be some things that you regret in your life, but the Bible is full of hope. And so Paul, he goes on. And here's what he says in verse 21. He says, but now, I love this. That's where, Bible, this is where the Bible turns a corner. This is where Paul turns a corner. And he says, you may have heard the bad news, but reforesting is about God planting something new in your life. And many of you have come in here tonight and you need God to plant new life in the soil of your soul. And this is where we get to that part of the text. But now, He's saying there's not a period, it's not over. This isn't the end of your life. This isn't the end of your story. God has something better for you. He says, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, when this phrase, righteousness of God, when this pops up on our pages, you can just circle that phrase and write out to the side if you need an understanding of what this means. It literally means that you can be right with God. Think about that. You can be right with God. 
I think there's this gnawing sense inside of every human soul that's like, man, am I right with God? Am I right with my maker? That many of you, man, you're in a season where you lay your head on your pillow and you're like, man, did I, did I, did I do enough? Am I good enough? Have I been enough? Others of you lay your head on your pillow and say, man, I'm not enough. I messed up again. If I die tomorrow, it won't be good. And there's a gnawing sense inside of every human soul that is longing to be right with God. Are you right with God? What Paul is saying is that you can be made right with God. And we're here tonight so that we can all leave knowing that we are right with God, so that we can revel in a right relationship with God Almighty. And so Paul, he's saying that the righteousness of God, the, the right standing of, of God, it, apart from the law, it is revealed to us that, that you don't have to go try harder, do better, give more, sacrifice more in order to be right with God. There's, there's another way to be right with God. And he says, this is what the guys in the Old Testament, this is what they're saying, man. There's a time that's coming. There's a person that's coming. There's a savior on the way. He says in verse 22, he says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. You can circle that word believe. We'll come back to it in a minute. He said, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, key word, we're gonna circle that word justified. We'll come back to it in a minute. Being justified, how? Freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Confession number one, I am a sinner. Confession number two, Jesus is the Savior. This is good news, y'all. This is where it gets good. My, I, this has been bulling my blood all week, y'all. I've been so fired up to get back to here and tell y'all about the tree that changed everything. I've been so fired up to tell y'all about Jesus Christ and how he is the one that can make you have right standing before God. This is the crux of Christianity. This is why all of this exists. This is why we sing the songs that we sing. This is why this book has been preserved and protected throughout the, the decades and the centuries and the millennial. That this is the crux of Christianity, that you can be made right with God in Christ Jesus. That you don't have to die saying, I'm a sinner, the end. You could be made righteous before God. Listen, Christianity is an invitation to be right with your maker. How amazing is that? You can be right with God. You don't have to wonder about what your eternity, what it holds. You can be right with God Almighty. That Paul is saying, all who believe will be justified. Now, this word justified, that's a new word to you. Uh, it, it's really a, a legal term, and it, it literally means this. If you take a note, you can just write this definition of justified down. It means to be rendered righteous. It means to be rendered righteous or, in this context, to be made right with God. Some of y'all, maybe you heard this in church before, that it's like, uh, you know, that you're justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. Well, that, that's kind of true, but I think sometimes when we, when we just leave it at that, we limit the full weight of the meaning. And when you are justified before God, listen, you have sinned, and yet he still acquitted you of the punishment that should have been rightly due to you. you it's not just like a blank slate and I never messed up. No, you have messed up. You have sinned against the holy God. We all have sinned, and we all fall short of his glory. But in Christ you can be rendered righteous before God. Nothing of your own works. But you must believe in Christ. The only way that you and I can have right standing before God 
is to believe in Jesus. That's where believe, like especially this time of year, it's Christmas time, and maybe you see like, you know, something sweet on Hallmark Channel or commercial and just say, believe, you know. Believe in the magic of Christmas, you know, and, and believe, it can mean a lot of things, you know. Well, the Greek word for believe, if you take a note, you can write this down. The Greek word is pistuo, and it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, you got to believe in the thing rather than believing that there's a thing. Let me explain it this way. Like, uh, we went to this uh, rock climbing and high ropes course place with my family a couple weeks ago, and, and, um, and we, had this, we had this decision to make where we're going to believe that the zip lines could hold us up. Were we going to believe that the harnesses would keep us you know, alive? Or were we going to believe in the zip line, believe in the harnesses? And so me and my crew, we like to take a risk. And so here's my family right here. We're all harnessed up, ready to go. Now, the, the one in the red shirt, Anna Joy, she's been, she's been looking forward to this day all year. Because she just got tall enough to be able to do like the, the, big, the big things at this place. And so basically what they do at this place is they get you like, like right on the edge of death, and they say, oh, I'm just kidding, you're gonna be all right. So that's what we do, right? And so I'm like, let's take our six-year-old and let's get her on the edge of death, you know? And so I tell her, and I'm like, hey, hey, you gotta believe in this stuff. And so she's like, I believe in it, you know? I'm trying to be a dad, raise brave girls. And so, you know, she's like, I believe in it. She puts on the harness, she puts on the clips and all of the stuff, and then we get up there and her legs are shaking. <laughs> she's nervous, y'all. As you can imagine, six years old, we're like four stories high. I'm like, just, yeah, the zip line, it'll be good, you know, like it's all good, you know. And I'm trying to teach her that she can be brave, but I'm also trying to teach her you can believe in the equipment. You can put your trust in the equipment. You don't need to just sit here and be calculated and understand how it works and think that you are getting the same experience as actually getting on the platform and actually running down the zip lines. Many of you, you have a believe that faith. You don't have a believe in faith. What I mean by that is that you know about Jesus. You believe that Jesus was the Son of God or is the Son of God. You believe that Jesus came around Christmas. You believe a lot of things about Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus because you haven't put your faith and trust in him. You haven't put on the harness of righteousness. You haven't taken the risk of faith and trusting in Jesus, and you haven't felt the thrill of obedience. And Paul's saying the only way that you can be right with God you can't just have head knowledge. It's got to be here. Belief comes from here. It's not knowing about God. It's not believing that God is a Savior. It's believing in God as your Savior. Has there been a time in your life where you confess Jesus as the Savior of your life? Has there been a time in your life where you moved from knowing some things, some intellectual ascent about Jesus, to really putting your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you confessed that Jesus is the Savior. That's my story, man. For a large part of my life, I grew up in the South. In the South, they give you a birth, a birth certificate and they give you a Bible. You know, so I'm from Texas, and that's just kind of how it rolls, man. You got churches everywhere, and it's just like this, they talk about Jesus all the time, and and it can be confusing down there, man. You go to Texas, and they're like, you going to heaven? You're like, yeah, I'll drive a Ford. Like that's not what gets you into heaven. Like I'm from Texas, that's not what gets you into heaven, right? And there's this kind of this weird pseudo-spirituality that's so pervasive down there. And so what happens is that you'll learn a lot of things about Jesus. You'll learn a lot of things about God. And, and so you'll, you'll be convinced that because you know some things about Jesus, then you're good with Jesus. And my story is, I was 18 inches from hell. You know what I mean by that? Like the distance from here to here. It's about 12 to 18 inches. And some of you, you are 12 to 18 inches from missing out on heaven. 
You're 12 to 18 inches from hell because you know some things about Jesus and you have convinced yourself that you've believed in Jesus, but you've just believed that Jesus. And I'm begging you tonight that you would believe in Jesus, that you would drive a stake in the ground, that you draw a line in the sand. This is what I had to do. I knew in my heart of hearts, man, I was desperately lost because I wasn't fully surrendered to Jesus. And there came a point in my life when I, was, when I was 20 years old where I said, God, I know the prayer I need to pray. But God, I mean it this time. Will you save me? Will you make me right before you through Jesus? And it was at that time in my life, I don't know what it was, I don't, I don't know. It was God planting something new in my life. And many of you, that's what needs to happen in your life tonight. You need to allow the Spirit of God to unearth the soul of your heart or the soil of your heart and plant something new in your life. Paul, he, he says that you could be made right with God through Jesus Christ if you believe in Jesus. Now, Paul, he goes on, and, and this is where, like, it, for me, like, when I understood some of the implications of what Paul's about to talk about, this is where it got next level for me, y'all. Like, I grew to appreciate the work of Jesus in a whole new way. Because up until this point in my life, when I'd heard these sort of things, I was like, man, Jesus died for me. He loves me so much. And, like, this is so cool. And I could be made right with God. And I, and I kind of I stopped the narrative at that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for me and so that we could be like boys in heaven forever, you know? And, like, that's the whole purpose. Like, that's the main story. But there's so much more to what Jesus is accomplishing on the cross. And for me, like this is where it gets like even better and a little bit dense, if you will, all right? And so y'all need to hang on with me. But I, I, I'm hoping that by the end of our time together, that you will be able to marvel at the massacre of Jesus in a new way. Because you will see that it is a masterpiece of God's mercy and defends the integrity of his justice. Here's what it says. Starting in verse 24, again, Paul, he said that we can be justified. We can be made right with God freely. This is, this is a conundrum, all right? We can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Pick it up in 25. He says, whom God set forth as a propitiation. I'm gonna deal with that in a minute, don't worry. As a propitiation by his blood through faith. There it is again. To demonstrate his righteousness. I love this. So he was a propitiation by his blood. Why? To demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. So he was merciful to demonstrate his righteousness. But then he goes on, he says, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Confession number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. The confession number three is salvation is for me, but it's not about me. Salvation is for me, but it's not about me. This is one of the most profound truths that I can give to you in all of the scripture. Because we've come in here and, and, and we haven't really done a great job as a church, I'll say. We've come in here and just kind of products of our society and products of, of trends that are happening in culture and, and even products of truths that are in the Bible. We've been baited to make salvation about us. It's like we'll sing songs like Jesus didn't want heaven without us. And so he sacrificed himself. 
We'll sing songs about how great the Father's love is for us, that he's lavished upon us. And listen, those are biblical truths and those have profound implications. But those things are not the only reason why Jesus died on the cross. And I would argue that the main reason why Jesus died on the cross was not to give us his love. The main reason why Jesus died on the cross was to bring glory to God. And that salvation is about the glory of God's name. And we're just the benefactors of his grace and the forgiveness. That salvation, it is for us, but it's not about us. And this text is showing us one of the main reasons why Jesus' death on the cross was necessary. Because Jesus' death on the cross was a clear demonstration of God's righteousness. See, the Bible teaches that God is just. What that means is that if somebody does something evil, then, then God needs to punish that. You know, like it, just like if somebody did you wrong, you know. Somebody did you wrong, wrong, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they murdered somebody in your family. And then you went to the, the trial and the judge was like, you know what? This guy, he seems like he's sorry. You know, he, he seemed like, he, he like he's got potential. We're just gonna let him off the hook. You'd be calling senators. You'd be like, man, this is an unjust judge because a just judge, a righteous judge, he punishes the wicked. In the Bible, it's very clear that God is just. I mean, it says this in Proverbs 17, 15. It says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. Like what the Bible's just saying is that when somebody acquits the guilty, they turn a blind eye and then they, and then they condemn the innocent, God's like, get that out of here. I ain't got no time for that. Now the irony of it is this that at the cross, you see God doing these things. That God in his nature, he cannot forgive people who are guilty. Now we've already confessed that we're a sinner, that we're guilty, so how can God be just and offer forgiveness to you and I? How can he maintain his integrity of his character and his righteousness while giving forgiveness to sinners like you and me? And Paul is trying to resolve this conundrum that is in the text. Paul says this, he says that Jesus is the solution, that Jesus is our propitiation. Again, that's probably not a word that you've used last week. Propitiation in the Greek, it's, it's hilasterion is how you say it. It, it literally means a, the, the, this, the mercy, it's like, it, it's, this, it's the thing that the expiate, like the definition when I looked it up was confusing, all right? And, and it was used to describe the, the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat of God. That was the propitiation. And, and the best rendering, the best definition that I, that I came to was, was that it is a payment that satisfies. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the propitiation. Jesus is the payment that satisfies. So, so Jesus, he came, he died on the cross and he satisfied the payment what exactly is he satisfying though? What is the payment that we're talking about here? The payment is God's justice. That Jesus had to die. Only Jesus could be the one that would maintain the integrity of God's justice. To put it simply, Jesus' blood satisfied God's justice. That Jesus didn't die just to save you. That is true, that is right, and that is a profound implication. 
That's part of it. But it's so much bigger than that. Jesus is the only one that could rightly satisfy the justice of God. And the only way for him to satisfy the justice of God was to take on the punishment for the sins of the world, y'all. Was for him to absorb the wrath of the judge that on the cross, Jesus is taking the wrath that is rightfully due you and me. And this is why the tree that changed everything, this is why the cross of Jesus Christ was so horrific. A lot of times when I preach about Jesus' death on the cross, I, I really take a lot of time and look through the historicity of the crucifixion. And when you study that, man, it is, it is gut-wrenching. What a terrible instrument of torture. And I'll talk about the brutality of the crucifixion. And it was brutal. But the greater tragedy, the greater struggle on the cross was the wrath of Almighty God being poured out on his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus was in such duress the night before he was being crucified saying, Father, if there's any other way, would, is there any other way? But this was the only way that God's justice could be maintained intact. And so Jesus willingly paid the price. He was the payment that satisfied the justice of God. The reason why Jesus was in duress is not because of the physical agony per se, but because he was about to pay for our sin. And the only way that you and I can be made right with God is to have God make things right with God. We did nothing. We contributed nothing. That Jesus is the only one. He's the only Savior. He's the only thing that could have paid the penalty. Because God is holy, he had to punish sin. The wages of sin is death. Because God is mercy, he waited to punish sin. We see in verse 25 that in his forbearance, God passed over the sins previously committed. And because God is grace, he punished his son for our sin. Jesus paid it all. He paid the price. And the cross is a demonstration of God's righteousness. And it is the vindication of his justice. That's why the prophet Isaiah would say that it pleased God to crush his son. And the reason why we have the tree of Calvary at the center of Christianity is because it is the message of God's vindication of his justice, but his invitation of forgiveness. That on the cross, you have the vertical beam and, it, and it, it, it represents, when you see a cross and you see that vertical beam, it represents, think about this, Jesus making right all of the demands of God's character. Jesus taking on the wrath of God on the cross so that he can preserve the integrity of God's justice so that we can believe that God doesn't just turn a blind eye to sin. He doesn't just wink at us and say, it's okay, I forgive you and I forgive you, no big deal. But Jesus is taking the wrath of God, paying for our sin, but with his arms spread wide so that we know that it is available to all. That where love and justice collide, you have a cross. And the cross, it's so horrific 
yet it's so wonderful. The sinless Son of God became sin on our behalf. He became the thing that he detests. He became the thing that he despises. He became the thing that breaks his heart. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That Jesus' massacre on the cross is God's masterpiece of justice. And we can be the beneficiaries of his faithful obedience to the glory of God. That salvation, it is for you, but it is not about you. And this confession needs to be lodged deep in the soul of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That Jesus is the only way to get to God because he is the only one worthy enough to sacrifice and to satisfy the payment of God. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, how I long for this truth to be planted in the soul or the soil of your soul. Oh, how I long to see everyone admit that they, the thing that they tried to suppress. Oh, how I long to revel in the redemption of Jesus even more so that you and I would know that God wants to plant something new in your life. We were down in the crossroads planting trees and we got over there by messenger coffee. And they had these two little places where there was, you know, a place cut out in the sidewalk, just some dirt. They said, we're gonna plant some trees here. And we went over there and pulled the grates off and we started digging. And I believe that this was the latrine for every dog and maybe street person in the entire five block radius. We started digging up that dirt. It was rancid, y'all. It was gross. It smelt bad and we had to get, you know, upwind or downwind, however it works. We had to get on the other side of the wind of it. It smelt bad and, but man, we were there to plant trees. So we dug up this rancid soil and we planted something new in this place that was otherwise forsaken and gross. And this is just me doubling down on a picture that I pray it would sink deep into your mind and in your heart. That you and I were the dirt. We are the rancid soil that's been polluted and taken advantage of by ourselves and by this world. And we need something outside of ourselves, God, to plant something into the soil of our soul. And God wants to plant a tree of righteousness in your life. And then he wants to grow something beautiful so that you can change the world around you. See, the tree that changed everything is the one that Jesus bore for you and for me. The tree that changed everything was the cross of Calvary. And I'm praying that if you don't know that in a very personal way tonight, that you would not leave here tonight without settling where your soul lies with God. You could be made right with God tonight if you'll believe in Him. I want to invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes. Here in Lee Summit in the city, we typically give an opportunity to respond to the message every week. The way that we do that is we usually sing a song and then we have an invitation. But tonight, I think there's somebody here that needs to open your heart to God now. And so we're gonna do things a little bit different. We're gonna give you an opportunity to respond during the song. And the way we're gonna do that here in Lee Summit is that there's gonna be some people uh, that are gonna be at the back left. 
And so I'm gonna ask you a few questions here in just a second, and I'm gonna dismiss you. Some of you, during the song, you need to go to these people in the back left. And in the city, some of you need to go to the people that are in the back of the room. And you need to go have a conversation tonight, and you need to make things right with God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you a couple questions. Are you ready to confess that you're a sinner? Not that you messed up, not that you slipped up, not that you made some mistakes, had some bad days, but you're a sinner. What that means is that you're spiritually dead, that there's no hope for you to be right with God because of the sin that you've committed in your life. Are you ready to confess that Jesus is the Savior? Not a Savior, not one of many Saviors, but the Savior. And do you understand that the reason why Jesus is the Savior is because he is the sinless son of God and the only one that is sufficient to pay the price of the world's sin so that God can still be just. He's the only one that can be the justifier and remain just. Last question. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you have not believed in Jesus, would you do that tonight? Don't wait. It's the best decision of your life. He will redeem. He will restore. He will replant, and I promise you'll be so glad that you trusted him. So I'm gonna pray and then here at Lee Summit, I'm gonna say amen, we're gonna sing. Some of you need to go to the back corner, the back right corner, grab one of your, your peers by the hand, have a conversation. Those of you in the city, I'm gonna pray when I say amen. We're gonna sing in the city. And some of you just need to go to the back corners of the, of the auditorium there in, in the crossroads. Grab one of your peers by the hand. It's back there waiting to, to talk with you. And you need to allow God to plant something new in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for your goodness in our life. But where would we be if it wasn't for you. God, I, th I thank you for how spectacular you are. Jesus, I thank you for the way that you laid down your life willingly. No one took your life. You offered it up freely. And I thank you for the profound implications of the cross. We, we barely scratched the surface tonight. The gospel is a, it's a pool of water in which Lambs can splash and wells can dive deep in. So God, I pray that it would be simply clear to us tonight the invitation that you offer, that we would confess that we're a sinner, that you're the Savior. The salvation, it is for us, but it is not about us. It's about a good God giving glory to his name. God, help us to respond appropriately. In Christ's name.
Amen.